Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Because you won't find us on Google or Facebook, we respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we're joined with a veteran, the famous Barbara Lowe Fisher, who is the co-founder of the National Vaccine Information Center, which is one of the best organizations out there, certainly one of the oldest providing objective, non-biased information about vaccines to help people make an informed choice about whether or not they want to participate in the vaccine program. So welcome and thank you for joining us today because we've got loads of information to discuss since the last time we talked. <laughs> That's so true. Sure. <laughs> you know, in a way, it's a culmination, what's happened this year, of everything we have been talking about for the last decade. Uh, you know, I know back in 1993, I started to predict that there the day would come when uh, Americans would not be able to participate in society without showing proof they've been vaccinated with whatever the government says they have to be vaccinated with. And I think we're most definitely heading that way uh, right now. It's been unprecedented what's happened in this country and really around the world uh, yeah. in this past, uh, since January. A very clever and sophisticated strategy to implement that goal, for sure. And most of us, or many of us, believe it was planned, uh, for certain. So uh, I think that is probably the main topic of discussion. There's so many other things that we can go on and tangents to it, but it's this mandatory vaccination. So uh, why don't we start there? Because there are some legal proponents, like Alan Dershowitz, who is a famous attorney who's uh, represented, uh, I believe, the president before in certain cases, and uh, Epst Epstein uh, and others, uh, prominent individuals. Uh, and he has a, a position on mandatory vaccines, which, which would be shocking to you if you heard it. So I'll let you describe it best, because it's just it's your jaw drops. I mean, and he uses a justification of a Supreme Court ruling in 1905, which was uh, in a, in a uh, reference to the smallpox vaccine. Uh, yeah, I've heard, I watched the interview uh, by uh, Dershowitz and I was, he, the, the, he was quite reckless in the language he used. I mean, he basically said that uh, the Supreme Court in 1905 and Jacobson versus Massachusetts is given the right uh, of state governments to to come in and take you and and forcibly inject you with a vaccine. Uh, that's not really what Jacobson versus Massachusetts said. There's no no question. It was a utilitarian ruling, uh, and uh, it, for the greater good, uh, state legislatures could pass a, a law requiring you to be vaccinated or revaccinated 
during an epidemic, an outbreak of disease. In that case, it was smallpox, because that was the only vaccine they had in 1905. Uh, but you have to read this, the Supreme Court decision very carefully to understand uh, everything that the justices said. There's no question they basically uh, concluded, and I think wrongly so, because utilitarianism, which was based on a mathemat is based on a mathematical equation that some can be inconvenienced or sacrificed in effect for the greater good of a majority of people, um, that the court decided that people could be inconvenienced or that was a, that opposed smallpox vaccination could be required to to be vaccinated during epidemics and even religious objections could be overridden uh, so it, but there's also language in that decision that says that the court is not to be interpreted as meaning that if an individual was at risk for being harmed by the vaccination they, they were not meant to uh, be concluding that cruel and inhumane to the last degree would be the standard, you know, that would be used. So I don't think, Der I think Dershowitz over, overstated the opinion, although it is a utilitarian op opinion. It does allow, the, it gives authority to the states to mandate vaccines because anything not defined in the constitution as a federal activity is reserved for the states. Public health laws, by and large, in this country are uh, written by the states, uh, and the, the, the federal authority is requiring vaccination for pe people crossing territorial borders of the United States, as well as they could mandate vaccines for interstate travel, that is, crossing state borders, but most public health laws that legislatures make are for the residents of the states, which is why we have a patchwork of laws in this country. Some states have flexible medical, religious, and conscientious belief exemptions, and some states have eliminated all but the medical, very narrow medical exemption. It's because the people that you elect to your state legislature are responsible for making these laws. And, uh, I, I, I'm very worried, though, that some attorney is going to try to challenge Jacobson in the 21st century and try to challenge uh, the, the, the ruling when I think that probably in any court right now, you're going to get that ruling upheld and you're going to get it strengthened. So I would advise well, against that in the Supreme Court. It occurred to me as you were discussing this that there is an important pragmatic step that everyone needs to recognize. So let's take the worst case scenario that your state decides to mandate this vaccine or any vaccine. How are they going to enforce that becomes the practical question. They are going to rely on the local police or typically the sheriff's department. And the sheriff has the authority to deny a governmental order. As far as I understand, they do not have to enforce what the government says. It's based on their decision. So that's why I believe it is so important to know who your county sheriff is and get to know them and get to develop a relationship with them and get them on your side. And if they're not on your side, you'd want to consider moving to a different county where they are 
Fortunately, I live in Florida that has an unbelievable sheriff, one of the best out there. And uh, he would not enforce these types of draconian measures. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, th that's true that the sheriffs, uh, and certainly there have been some comments made by sheriffs during this pandemic uh, with some of the draconian lockdown orders. Uh, they're not happy about enforcement by the police of some of these orders in states like New York and California, where there has been quite a restriction on civil liberties. Uh, but I think it's also important to remember what Jacobson, what the Supreme Court said in 1905. The states have the power to mandate, but the states have also the power not to mandate and to have exemptions, which is why in 2010, uh, the National Vaccine Information Center created the NVIC advocacy portal, the online portal where we monitor state legislation, vaccine-related legislation, and let people know when bills, proposed bills are moving in their state that they can then contact their legislators and say, we want exemptions protected. We want our informed consent rights protected. So the, the message really is that the very first step is we have to start in this country developing personal relationships with the, elect, uh, the, the officials that we elect. Because the bad laws can be... Like the county sheriff. <laughs> well, and the county sheriff, yes. But let's hope. Let's, I mean, because we're a nation of laws, let's hope that this, what's happened this year is a lesson to the people that unless they elect legislators that are going to reflect their values and beliefs, traditional values and beliefs that have been respected in this country for 245 years, unless we elect good people, we're not going to have good laws. We have to, the millennials and the Gen Xers have got to start running for office. If they want to have a future where they're going to be, be literally free to be able to enjoy freedom of speech and of conscience and thought and uh, freedom of religion and the right to assembly, all of these things that were protected in the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, we have to elect people at the state level and the federal level on Capitol Hill who are not going to be sold out, who are not going to sacrifice uh, their integrity for money. You know, we know that the pharmaceutical industry is the biggest lobby on Capitol Hill. They, they, these, these legislators, we've got to build a firewall between government and industry. That has been completely broken down in the last four years. Since I came into this work, I can't believe how there is a, a public-private business partnership mm -hmm. that has been developed by the federal agencies with the pharmaceutical industry. And so you cannot get deep. We, we were talking earlier about H.R. 6666 introduced mm -hmm. in the House of Representatives on May 1, now with 59 co-sponsors. And, and, and what does that bill do? It gives over, it would give over a hundred billion dollars to the CDC to hire people in this country to go out and knock on doors and test you for COVID-19. And if you test positive, then they're going to try to find out and trace all your contacts and they can quarantine you in your home, or if they don't think you're going to stay in your home, they can quarantine you in a mobile unit. This is, this is a violation 
of a number of amendments in the Constitution that protect our right to life and liberty, that protect our right to be free in our homes and not, and, and not have our home, not, not be literally taken out of our homes and put somewhere the government wants to put us. Um, you know, if we do not start to become aware of these laws that are being passed by legislators and Capitol Hill and our state legis legislatures, we are going to be a captive people who don't have civil liberties anymore. Yeah, it, it, it becomes again somewhat of a pragmatic issue though, because uh, there's certainly one effort to do that legislatively, but the practical component is that almost everyone watching this has a smartphone and that smartphone has one of two operating systems, either Android yeah. or iOS. And the next time you update your software, you will have a contact tracing app integrated into the software, the operating system of the program. It will be there. No way around it. You will be contact traced so that even without legislation, the software is on your phone unless you don't update. I'm not, I'm, I don't personally plan on ever updating my phone again. Uh, so it might be too late for some because this was uh, that program, those program updates were uh, the third week of May. So if you've updated your software and then you've got a contact tracer on your program. Um, yeah, I think there, there's been some discussion about can we turn that off? I don't think so. It's, a, <laughs> it's integrated into the operating system, I believe. There's no way out of that. Once it's in there, it's in there. I am literally shocked that Apple uh, consented to this because they have been such a starch, staunch advocate of privacy issues. And this is a, an egregious violation of privacy. Well, we can certainly see the power grab by government and by big tech and by the pharmaceutical industry during this COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, this has, was sprung on us so fast. It moves so fast from the end of January where the WHO said, oh, there's a public health emergency of some concern. And then took, and the, and the CDC declared, you know, a public health emergency of concern. But it wasn't until March 11th that the WHO said this, this COVID-19 is a pandemic. And within weeks, we had a lockdown of this country, the likes of which we've never seen, and other countries as well, that has completely brought our society to, a, to its knees. And, um, and so we're seeing this erosion of civil liberties, because unless you take liberty from the people, and they're doing it in the name of safety, uh, you cannot do the kinds of things that we've been talking about. And I think that it's sort of like that frog in the boiling pot, right? Mm -hmm. Little by little, they've turned the heat up. And when we started to go in the state legislatures and people started to show up by the thousands in the last five years, as the lobby, the, the uh, pharmaceutical, public health, and medical trade lobby went into the states and tried to take the exemptions away. And we've seen Americans stand up in thousands and thousands uh, in these state legislatures. I think they weren't very happy about the fact they couldn't eliminate all these exemptions to force vaccination. And right now, they're taking advantage of a situation and they are determined to take away our right 
to make voluntary vaccine choices, or indeed, I believe, health choices. I think this is as much about the, the, an assault on holistic health as it is about vaccination. Unquestionably. And they, they knew, they knew they were losing ground thanks to organizations like yourself. And, and, and you. And, and the others of us who, who, who are telling the truth. So they leveraged up. You know, last year, almost a year ago, precisely, they took hundreds of us, censored us out of Google. We cannot find us in the search engine anymore. So that was a big step. And then they took it the next step and created the fear of God in everyone. They're going to die of, of, a, of this engineered vaccine that in reality wouldn't touch them if they were metabolically healthy and, and vitamin D sufficient. So, you know, and they're using that fear to leverage the implementation of these draconian programs. So I want to go into the details of the upcoming vaccine because that is going to blow people's mind. I know we're going to have a great discussion on it. But before we do, I want to follow up on one of the statements you made just earlier with respect to the collaboration, the collusion would be probably a better term for it between government and industry uh, and the uh, their participation that most people are not aware of. Can you describe that in more detail? Well, what's happened is this idea that government needs to be a part business partner with the vaccine manufacturers is really something that occurred in the 20th century. Um, and it occurred with a lot of help from Bill Gates, who a businessman turned philanthropist who has spent the last 20 years after he was charged with antitrust violations with Microsoft, uh, he has spent the last 20 years trying to buy his uh, a good name back uh, by becoming a philanthropist that focuses almost, almost exclusively on vaccinating the world. And of course, he's either the richest or one of the top three richest men in the world. No, the richest and is Jeff Bezos. Okay, he's, well, he's up there in the top five. Anyway. Yeah, I think he's number two. Okay, number two. <laughs> Which is interesting, though. He's donated tens of billions of dollars. Yes. Maybe 20, 30, 40, I don't know. So it's, a, it's tens of billions. And, and since those donations, his net worth has doubled. So the reason why is because he is able to go through this. It's not even illegal local. He's, what he's doing is illegal. He's making investments in his trust that he gets a tax donation for in companies that he personally benefits from. It's mind-blowing, but it's, it's a tactic that's commonly used and never, never legally enforced. And he's basically a criminal, creating more wealth and, and in the, getting the side effect of being this illusion, this this perception of being a philanthropist and he's the furthest thing from a philanthropist he's just furthering his personal agenda and you know we've done a number of different uh, series on this the corbett report has done an unbelievable exercise. unbelievable report yeah four, wow. he's got four parts and we've done an article on part one two and a, and a one in part three and four i mean it's just amazing and it's, yes. he especially integrates the vaccine information in there very, very effectively. So if you haven't watched it, you watch this directly or watch our report on it. We've embed his complete uh, videos on our site. So, Well, all I know is having sat here for almost 40 years watching this vaccine empire unfold, I know that Gates' entry into this, into this world has changed everything, really. 
And he was a big proponent because he's a businessman. He's a big proponent of these public-private partnerships between government and non-governmental organizations <laughs> like his and um, the pharmaceutical industry. And certainly he is, he is one of the biggest funders of the World Health Organization and Gabby, I mean, almost everything. That well, I, I, I think he, he is the biggest funder. He was number two, second to the U.S., but mm-hmm. Trump has pulled out funding. Okay. And I think well, uh, he has suggested, at least at this point in time, he hasn't, but he's implied that he's going to permanently remove funding and actually have the United States drop out of the WHO. That's what he's threatened. And I'm hoping he engages in that behavior because we, need to, we do not need to be in that organization as a country. Well, Gates is definitely the biggest non-government. Yeah, yeah. But he's now he's number one of yeah. any, any government because the U.S. is not funding. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he, he is a big believer in, as I said, vaccinating the world. And Gabby, this pharmaceutical industry, this pharmaceutical uh, really organization that's all about pharma, um, is, is, is involved. All these companies are involved in vaccinating the world. And... The COVID-19 vaccines that are being fast-tracked to licensure with funding, additional funding from governments like the U.S. government, a half a billion dollars to one company, a half a billion dollars to another. Moderna is a NIAID um, uh, supported vaccine. It's a lot of money that's being given to these companies to fast-track these COVID-19 vaccines using technology that's never been licensed before, DNA, messenger RNA, a nanoparticle. Uh, well, 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 let's go, th- let's go there now. <coughs> what you're referring to is what has been termed Operation Warp Speed, and it's taking off on the uh, war analogy, and it has been analogized to something similar to the Manhattan Project for COVID-19. And who do they put in charge of Operation Warp Speed? Well, they picked their, their heads wisely. They picked an individual who was the head of GlaxoSmithKline, GSK, for the development of the swine flu vaccine called Pandemics which injured many people and was awarded hundreds of thousands of dollars in uh, compensatory damages for the, the, but it was failed miserably, didn't protect anyone. And they put this guy in charge of the program. Yeah. Again, there's no firewall, is there? There's none. (laughs) And, and, and I mean, and this is, this is a company. I don't know if he works for them anymore, but that was, that paid, Billions of dollars in damages for fraudulent behavior. As, a, as, as is also true for Merck. The, these companies are not flawless. They're making mistakes all the time. And that's one of the reasons they, they engineered that uh, passing of the, vac- the Vaccine Compensation Act in the 80s so that they would not be held liable for any damage that the vaccines do. Right. We, they, we fought like so hard to try to get uh, protection from them completely eliminating all liability uh, for the vaccine companies in 1986. But Congress ended up giving them a partial liability shield. 
Uh, however, Congress did not give them the shield from design defect lawsuits, that is failure to make a vaccine safer. That didn't happen until 2011 when the U.S. Supreme Court in Brusevitz versus Wyeth eliminated the design defect liability that the companies had. So at this point, you can't really sue uh, the companies. And it was really after 2011 that the pharma, medical trade, and public health lobby started to go into the states and try to take away all the exemptions because there was no really no more liability for these companies. And uh, in 1987, after the law was passed, all the vaccine administrators, people who give vaccines, were given liability protection in an amendment to that law. So the original law it was very different from what it is today. And the problem is, is it's been eroded by the Department of Justice and the HHS and the pharmaceutical companies and the courts. So it's, uh, it, it, and I think that people need to understand too, with these pandemic uh, vaccines, COVID-19 vaccines, in 2006, BioShield 2, it, which was called the Pandemic and All Hazardness, Hazards Preparedness Act, um, basically indemnifies all drug companies who make vaccines un, uh, in, and that are used during a public health emergency or a pandemic. All the companies have, li have no liability and anybody who uh, gives the vaccine or mandates the vaccine or whatever enforces use of the vaccine uh, is not liable either. So when these COVID-19 experimental vaccines are fast-tracked to market, I mean, it usually takes five to 10 years minimum to get a, a vaccine tested and on the market, licensed and on the market. They're talking about ramming this process through uh, at 12 to 18 months maximum. And they're even talking about giving these companies are going to ask the FDA for emergency use authorization, which is allowed during pandemic declarations to get these vaccines potentially used by healthcare workers to begin with as early as the end of this year. So it's, it's a, they are greasing the skids uh, to get these, these uh, vaccines out using technology that has not been licensed yet for humans. And I think that's what everybody needs to understand. They're not going to know a whole lot about the adverse effects, particularly long-term adverse effects of these vaccines, or whether or not they actually protect if they try to get them out in six months or 12 months. You just don't have the time to get that information. Yeah, even the most staunch advocates of vaccine programs like Paul Offit and Peter Hotez and even Fauci himself recognize that 12 to 18 months would be the bare but minimum and they all agree to that and trump's and others have said that and made a commitment uh to having hundreds of millions of this vaccine available this year with the intention to immunize everyone by january of 2021 well That's i think there's a difference uh and i I think we need to acknowledge there's a difference between making the vaccine available and forcing everyone to take it. I have not seen the administration so far get behind the idea that there would be force used. Right. He was making it available. I, I didn't yeah. mean to indicate that he was a proponent of mandatory vaccine. That is not what I meant to say. Yeah. Thank you for that distinction. Uh, but the, the potential availability of the vaccine will be, and I want to go into that now. Now, Moderna just did a press release, a ridiculous, beyond insanely ridiculous piece of trash that essentially catapulted the 
magnified or increased the, the, the sales or the worth of their company by tenfold. So what did they say? They said they had human trials that started in March of this year. They were testing humans for this vaccine. Humans, not animals, humans in March of this year. And the preliminary report was that eight of the 42 that were tested, that's like 17%, okay? 17% produced antibodies. And they took these antibodies and they put them in a Petri dish. And they said, yeah, it seemed to work against the disease. That's all they did. You would think they had this incredible victory. That means absolutely nothing, especially in light of previous COVID vaccines, which showed that when you, in animal studies to ferrets, and uh, that when they were administered the vaccine, they did indeed man, were able to generate an antibody, humoral antibody response that that produce antibodies to the virus. But when they exposed these animals to the infection, they all died. They all died. Enhanced disease. It enhances the disease. And, and most likely, that's exactly what we're going to predict with this. So they are looking to take out hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people with this disease. It could be probably one of the biggest public health disasters in the history of the world. Well, in those trials, there also were four individuals who had a grade three systemic reactions. But that's minor. I mean, they had a re local reaction. I well, mean, no, no. Grade three, uh, if you look at the definition yeah. by HHS, grade three requires medical attention, potentially hospitalization. There wasn't a lot of description about what all the, the full range of symptoms that those individuals suffered. But grade three, you know, there's one grade, one, two, three, four, and five. Five is death. Four is really severe. Uh, but three is, is, is not so insignificant. Again, we don't have all the information. Just like we know that the, the ages of the participants were between 18 and 55. Yeah, they were healthy. They were, healthy they were all healthy. They were healthy people. Yeah, and, they were and, not people with metabolic dysfunction as far as they, they can know. And that's very concerning because... Uh, only four in 10 Americans are actually healthy. If you go on the CDC's website, on the chronic disease uh, portion of their website, you see that six in 10 Americans have one chronic disease, and that's over 50%, and 30% of Americans have two or more, these are adults, have two or more chronic diseases, and 25% of children have a chronic illness or disability. This is, we have a catastrophically Poor but, public health report card in this country. No, but but you're quoting an organization that is clueless on steroids or COS because it's not 40% of the people. 90%, nine out of 10 individuals in this country are metabolically inflexible. They are insulin resistant and at risk for developing disease. We have an epidemic of insulin resistance, which leads to increased susceptibility to any infection, especially something like SARS-CoV-2. So that's where the problem is. If you're metabolically flexible and able to, to seamlessly burn fat or carbohydrates as your primary fuel, then it's almost a non-issue. And then the other, the other variable is vitamin D. So there's only one in 10 people in this country, probably maybe even one in 12 or 15 may have 
maybe metabolic complexity and have enough vitamin D. But if you have both of those, you're almost bulletproof to developing this disease. You know, I think it's interesting, the vitamin D issue, because uh, people predicted that Florida would be devastated. <laughs> we, right? both, we are both Florida residents, folks. That's right. Our, Flor- our, Flor- came down here a few years after <laughs> I did, but she's so happy that she's in Florida now. I, I really am. I, I absolutely love the light. I love the sun. And I feel so much healthier here. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I looked around and thought they kept predicting that because we have 20% elderly in this state, that we would be devastated. And very, you know, around halfway through, I said, you know what? It's not turning out that way. And I think it's because of the sun. I think people have more light and sun here. And the same is true in California. They predicted much more mortality mm-hmm. in California. Uh, but uh, California also has a lot of sun. If you look at the Northeast, it rains a lot. New York City, you can walk through those concrete canyons in, in Manhattan and never feel the sun hit you because the buildings are so high. And of course, there are so many people crowded into those high-rise buildings. It, it's, I really think vitamin D does make it. There's no question. And I, the last week I interviewed three vitamin D experts and they, I, I, I've been studying vitamin D for pretty much over two decades and teaching people about its importance. And they helped me understand that, that, that on spades and, and suggested, and I couldn't agree with them more, to start a campaign to spread this information to the country. And I actually just spent this whole Memorial Day weekend writing up a white paper on how to do this and you know, documenting it with, with illustrations and the background for it and compiling all the evidence. Because there's, there's probably about two dozen papers already published in the peer-reviewed literature supporting this thesis. And uh, so we're going to spread, uh, spread out a campaign very shortly for the next week or two to, to not only every individual, certainly everyone watching this is, we're hoping that they'll participate, but then creating an, an army, an army of individuals armed with this information so that they can go out into their community, their friends, their family, to the, lead, to the church leaders, especially the black churches, because those are the other populations that are at risk. If any, anyone of color is going to have, is going to have trouble, because even if you live in Florida, California, not only do you have to get outside in the sun, but if you have a really deeply pigmented skin, you're not going to. You're going to have to spend two, three, four times as much time in the sun to get that vitamin D. So those are the people at risk, and then the elderly, the people in uh, assisted living facilities and nursing homes. Oh, they never get in the sun. They no, but never yeah. Do. So th- those are the two populations we're looking for. We're going to create an army and have people just spread that message and that. and and get their levels up. I mean, ideally, we get their blood levels tested, but it's not necessary. We know exactly pro- approximately what the doses should be, but you know, it just get them on vitamin D. And it's, it's fortunately, it's like the least expensive supplement that you could possibly per- hope to purchase. That, that's such a, an incredibly important public health effort. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, they are more effective than vaccines. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, in the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, the H1N1 uh, pandemic, uh, there were doctors who understood and nurses who understood that like with soldiers on ships, they were in the holds. They would take them up to the to the the uh, deck of the ship and let them lay there in the sun during part of the day 
get to get fresh air and vitamin D. And those soldiers, those, those uh, sailors did much better than the ones who were kept down in the dark in the holds. And, you know, I remember my dad who passed in 2014 at 95. He, I would go and take him out in the sun because none of those residents were taken out in the sun. And I we'd put him in his wheelchair and we would take him outside so he could sit in the sun. And I know that it prolonged his life for, by several years. Um, and, and so at any rate, I'm really happy that you're doing that. That's a public service. Yeah, I think it may be one of the most important contributions I make. And it's not just going to be my site, but I'm going to use the relationships and the networking I've developed over the last few decades and, and hope to provide this massive natural health alliance yes and get everyone on board because it's not us it's not going to be, they're not coming to our site we're going to create this independent objective third party right. uh, probably a facebook platform because that's probably going to be the easiest to reach everyone and hopefully have tens maybe tens of millions maybe even over 100 million people in this group and just spreading the message to get it out to counter the ridiculous nonsense fortunately they haven't really i think censored or bashed vitamin D videos at this point. They've pretty much done almost everything else. Yes. You know, vitamin C for sure. Vitamin C. What? What? Let's, what's up with that? I, I. I. don't get why they're trying to. Well, because they're perceiving it as a threat. Is 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 it? But it, it, and vitamin C is is an effective therapeutic option, and thank God it exists. It's you know one in five. 20% of the population of the world dies of septic shock and vitamin C could rescue like 80% of them in combination with a few other nutrients. So it's a very valuable tool, but it, it's being used in this pur in purpose or application as a, as a drug really at high dose, it becomes uh, turns into peroxide and it's an oxidative uh, agent to help neutralize the infection. But at lower doses, I mean, it's useful for prevention, but it's not nowhere near the, the power of vitamin D optimization. And, and vitamin D, you know, really the immune enhancement, in my view, is almost one of the minor benefits. Uh, its major ones is it radically reduces maybe between 50 and 80% the risk of cancer and heart disease, mm -hmm. which is the two major leading causes of death. So, I'm excited to get people who are in massive fear to leverage their fear and use that fear to get them on a optimized dosing regimen to, to get, have good vitamin D levels to, to protect them ostensibly against the, the infection, but then they get the side effects of radically reducing the risk for heart disease, cancer, and probably dozens of other diseases. Right, right. Well, you know, it's clear that with this COVID-19, where they said that we were going to have between 1.7 and 2.2 <laughs> million Americans die with yes. the mathematical models that came out of University of Washington and also the Imperial College in, in London, uh, which were obviously massively wrong. <laughs> uh, but still, uh, you know, the studies that have come out said, well, you know, it, it maybe a 1.3 percent mortality rate and yet i've seen a study recently that is is down into 0 0.26 which is still higher than than influenza a, a normal influenza yeah. year but we're it's that nowhere actually, near that what they predicted that was actually the cdc 0 0.26 and and but that's yes. overall mm -hmm. and if you 
certain populations are going to be higher, yes. like those in the yes. people of color and people in the elderly in nursing homes are going to be yes. higher than that because they're at risk metabolically and, and for the vitamin D levels. But other populations who are not at risk, that, that, that risk is much, much lower. It's like probably 10 to 100 times lower. Right. And the publicity that we see every day on the news is that if we don't stay six feet away from each other, if we don't wear those masks, that we're going to all die. I mean, literally, that is the fear that has been instilled in people. And I know, I know people, I mean, certainly the vaccine aware community uh, is, is like most of America is split between people who are very afraid of this, of this new virus and people who believe that it has been that is the, the response to the threat has been much it was been excessive and extreme in order to do some of the things that we've been talking about today and that is more government power more control uh being able to sell more vaccines um and so it's been a very interesting time uh particularly for families who have lost someone to COVID 19. I, I remember, I think it was March 24, when I saw the government, the Department of Health and Human Services, put out a memo to all the doctors and coroners to basically diagnose anything that had a respiratory component, anyone who died who had respiratory symptoms prior to death, no matter if they had an underlying comorbidity or coinciding poor healthcare condition, or if even they hadn't been tested for COVID-19, that the death certificate would list COVID-19 as the cause of death. And I think we don't really understand at this point in this country, since we've had, there have been about 350,000 deaths from COVID-19 reported worldwide by uh, you know, the third week in May. Uh, and 100,000 of those deaths have been reported in the US. Now we do a lot more testing, but we don't know with the criteria that we're using here, really whether all of that those hundred thousand deaths are actually due to COVID nineteen or to something else. No, they they more than likely that that's an inflated number because Burks told it gave strict orders to overinflate them. She says we've got to be liberal on this. I mean she gave the orders and if there's it happened even close if they even thought they had COVID nineteen didn't didn't make the diagnosis. So I want to go back to the vaccines because the it's bad enough that they're going to have an untested, clearly unsafe vaccine. But the way they're planning on administering it is a new twist that I hadn't seen before. And uh, it appears they're going to be using an array of micro needles. And I'm not, I want to get your take on this. And these micro needles, in one way, it's somewhat beneficial because they're so tiny, you won't feel it at all. There's going to be dozens of them in it as well. It just puts under skin, the little patch you wear and you take it off. But in these micro, micro needles, they're going to have uh, quantum dot tags, which essentially consists of near-infrared particles that scatter light in a way that create this pattern that can be read by a smartphone with a little sensor attached to it and identify if you were given the vaccine. So I'm wondering if you've got any insights on this new method of administration. Well, this is definitely something that Bill Gates has been pushing. Um, he has been pushing not only that everybody in the world has to get all these vaccines, but also that governments uh, need to be able to track the vaccines that everybody gets. 
And uh, certainly this type of a administration of a vaccine is a kind of a double bubble because not only do you get the vaccine in the person, but you also are able to track the vaccine. Uh, you actually could put everybody, you could have, your medical record could be mm -hmm. That's <laughs> at some yeah. point completely on, on, you know, read by a smartphone uh, on your skin. Um, there have been many, I know over the years since I've been doing this work, decades ago, people were talking about microchips that, I remember when the hepatitis B vaccine was licensed, people were suspecting that there was a microchip in there because it was given at birth, et cetera. I haven't seen any evidence of that until, I mean, I'm really taking a close look at it now because certainly they're determined to somehow implant in some way or have our bodies carry our vaccination records. And the immunity passport that Gates is promoting um, and he's saying that everyone needs to get an antibody test and then they would have an immunity passport, although there's still an argument going on between scientists as to uh, WHO is saying, well, we don't know if after you recover from COVID-19, if you actually get immunity. And there are other people, I think there's a study out of France just yesterday that said, yes, you do get immunity, natural immunity, after you recover from COVID-19. But there's an argument going on by that. I'm sure WHO doesn't want well, to be immunity because they want everybody to be vaccinated. The reason that, that, that brings up the controversy is because they are assuming that if you retest positive, they're using the uh, reverse transcriptase PCR test to measure viral particle, this piece, small piece of RNA, which is not the virus. It's, and it could be a dead virus that's completely non-infectious, most likely. So the viral particles still might be there, but not infectious. So that's what they're calling positive. They're, not, they're using the PCR test, not the antibody test. Right. Um, it's, it's a mess. Yeah, that's, that's an understatement. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like, I sometimes feel like it's Keystone Cops, you know, a medical Keystone Cops. Because... You know, my my favorite saying is, you can't make this stuff up. No, I you know. can't make it up. <laughs> no, it's 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 just, uh, and, and I I've been so surprised that people have been so afraid that they've been paralyzed and they're just not. I'm actually just finishing our commentary on the fact that people have really abandoned rational thinking. Uh, they just well, really uh, have have totally succumbed to fear. They're not looking at the facts and the evidence, and they're being controlled no. because they are, have been they, so paralyzed. They, that is by design. You know, we have done a lot of reporting on how Google has really done massive surveillance on the population for the last 20 years. Yes. They have really understood at a very profoundly deep level what drives behavior, and then not only that, but how to manipulate behavior which is even more important. And I think largely through the data they've accumulated, they've learned how to maximally intensify this fear because fear is unquestionably probably the single most powerful motivating behavior in a human is fear. And they're using it to the max. Yes. I mean, who would have thought, who would have imagined even five years ago that Americans would willingly, in the numbers that they have, confine themselves to their homes for not, months. Not five years ago, 
six months ago. Yeah, even six months. You're right. I, I, it's six months ago. <laughs> they came so quickly at us. We didn't have. It was, no, it was I mean, a surprise in a, in many ways to me. I mean, there are probably a handful of people on the planet who might have been anticipating this, but I'm telling you, that was probably you could probably count them on your hands and feet. I mean, virtually no one I know of, or, or I mean, not personally, but I've read or anything this had any idea this was coming. It just came out. It was, it was unpredictable. It no, was they're just, going for it all right now. They are. This, this, <laughs> and, uh, it, and, and, and the American people are going to have to really take a look and figure out, do they want to take give, give up their civil liberties for safety, for an illusion of safety? It's really an illusion of safety. So do you, do you think, now if we've been able to convince people that, and hopefully others, that this vaccine is not going to be good for you. This is the last thing anyone would want to do. Anyone. I don't think there's anyone who qualifies to take this vaccine because it's going to be unproven and unsafe, and you're going to be, the likelihood of severe damage is just enormous. What I'm concerned about, Dr. Marcola, is the fact that it's going to alter our RNA and DNA. They, they say it's not, but basically the way they're making these vaccines, at least some of them, are going to turn our bodies into protein manufacturing plants. Now, if you're somebody who is not who who has an immune system that's hypersensitive, uh, that overreacts, people who have autoimmunity, people who have severe allergies, and you can't resolve inflammation in the body easily. And you were talking before how many people really are not, not well in this country. This is going to affect a subpopulation of people. We, I, I don't know how many, but you know, when you try to stimulate strong inflammatory responses in the body through the use of genetic manipulation and uh, squalene oil-based adjuvants, nanoparticle technology, one vaccine is using electricity to try to hyperstimulate an immune response. What is this going to do to people? who come from families who don't resolve inflammation in the body and become chronically inflamed and chronically ill and disabled because they can't resolve inflammation. This is what vaccines do. They stimulate inflammation in the body. They have to in order to provoke an antibody response. But it's an this is atypical. When, you, when, you're, when you're trying to do this to the body, this is not a normal way that the body mounts an inflammatory response to a infectious, uh, to a microbe. They've turned everything upside down and, and, and we are just accepting it. Why are we not critically thinking? Why do people think that they shouldn't really do the research and look at the science and look at what's being done before they take a pharmaceutical product or a vaccine? This is what I don't understand. We've totally given up our, our critical thinking ability and said well, because, the experts fear, are going to do it for us. Fear. That fear is the, the motivating factor. But the other component of vaccines is that there's two ele primary elements of immunity with respect to right. immune protection, which is humoral immunity, antibody, right. which is what they're seeking to do with the vaccine, and then cellular immunity, which is the long-term immunity, which doesn't do vaccines do not touch cellular immunity. But that's what the RNA DNA vaccines are going to try to do. That's what they're trying to do with this new technology. Oh, I didn't realize. They, 
yeah, they say they can stimulate cellular immunity, but at what price? Yeah, what at price? What price? Point. Yeah, and I, and I don't believe it. I would have to see lots of studies to, to prove that. that it, it, not so much prove that they are actually stimulating cellular immunity, but that there's no side effects, long-term side effects from this. I agree with you. Yeah. So interestingly, the, with respect to the autoimmune side effects from the conventional vaccines, you know what one of the side effects of vitamin D is? it decreases autoimmune reactions. That's what, by its very nature, it optimizes the immune function. So that's benefit. In fact, I, I've treated, I will refuse to treat any person with autoimmune diseases, such as rheumatoid arthritis or MS or inflammatory bowel disease, unless they have their op, vitamin D levels optimized, because it's really, really hard to do that unless you have optimal vitamin D levels. So, uh, but I, so it was kind of a tangent. What I wanted to, your <laughs> feedback on is I guess what strategy or what what do you recommend for people to do if they're convinced uh, or to, to, to convince their people they love to have a serious consideration about this I mean what is your what is your words of wisdom to the public it's, what are your words of wisdom <laughs> You know, it's a, such an emotional issue. I've seen families destroyed. I've seen friendships destroyed uh, over arguments about the vaccine, vaccine safety issue and effectiveness issue. And so it's, um, I, I think that what people need to do, and this is, I've been advocating this for 40 years, is you need to get educated. You need to get the accurate facts. Mercola.com and mbic.org we do our research, we, we footnote or we reference all of our information because we want you to have accurate information. And, and you need to share that information with your family and friends and your community leaders and certainly your legislators. Because the only way that we're gonna be able to change government in this country is as I said earlier, we have to elect people who are going to reflect our values and beliefs who are gonna understand that we have a right, a human right, to make voluntary decisions about medical interventions, any medical procedure that can injure or, or kill us or our children, we, should, we have the human right to exercise informed consent to use of that product or that medical intervention. It's basic, it's not hard. So we, we're governed by the laws that are made by the people we elect. And, we, and those people also appoint judges at the state and federal level. It all depends upon who we elect. But at the end of the day, if we don't have people who are in place, who are people who are going to tyrannize us, who are going to violate our human rights, then we have to make a decision. As you said earlier, everyone has to make a decision. The police, the sheriffs, everyone is going to have, an American is going to have to decide, am I going to be somebody who is going to violate the civil rights and the human rights of my fellow citizens? Or am I gonna be somebody who follows my conscience and who, who understands the culture, values, and beliefs that have, have really guided this country for more than two centuries? I think it all comes down to taking personal responsibility and making a choice. And I am hoping, I am praying, that most Americans understand that we have got to fight for our freedom 
and for our liberty, our, our, our civil liberties. It's what has kept this country free for, as I said, two centuries. Yeah, so along those lines, you developed a magnificent resource, your vaccine portal, which has been so helpful at preventing so many states from passing or removing the vaccine exemptions. Uh, and I'm wondering if you've modified it any way or scaled it up in a way to help the prepare your community and those interested. Because the beautiful thing about the portal is it works locally. It connects you to people, to network or where you live. So have you changed that in any way to uh, prep people for this oncoming potential mandatory vaccine? We're right now in the process of upgrading that portal to make it more user-friendly. Uh, we've been thrown off track by everything that's happened this year, our schedule, but we are both upgrading NBIC.org as well as the portal. And uh, yes, if you go on right now, you can, if you become a user of that portal, it's free. It's free, yeah. You will, you will get, your, you'll be put in electronic contact immediately with your own representatives at the state and federal level. We do both state and federal. And so it, it allows you to communicate inst instantly with your legislators. But the, the beauty of the portal is we have a staff that constantly monitors vaccine-related bills that are being proposed in the states and at the federal level. And we send you action alerts that are tailored just to you in your state. In other words, you don't receive action alerts from what's happening in other states. It's about you and where you live. And that will allow you to, for example, uh, either contact your legislators to make your voice heard, or <laughs> until recently, you'd be able to go and attend a public hearing mm -hmm. that, that may be taking place in the bill. But you see what's happened since this lockdown is it's prevented people from actually being able to go to the legislatures. Like, like legislatures. A lot of bills are in limbo right now because the legislatures are not uh, operating at full capacity, optimum capacity. Uh, the same thing with the federal uh, Congress. So we're hoping that we will, the lockdown will be lifted in all states by the time next year comes when all of these legislatures will be meeting. I'm very concerned about the precedent that was set in Virginia this year, really the birthplace of freedom of religion and of the Bill of Rights. Thomas Jefferson, George Mason, the founders of Virginia, uh, basically wrote the Bill of Rights for the U.S. Constitution and insisted they be in the U.S. Constitution. In Virginia last year, what happened was uh, the, we have a trifecta state dominated by one party now, and they decided that they were going to eliminate uh, the ability of the legislature to, uh, to decide which vaccines are mandated for the future and codify into Virginia law the existing CDC recommended schedule that will be automatically added to whenever the CDC decides a vaccine should be used by all children. This is very dangerous. Why? Because we go back to Jacobson versus Massachusetts that affirmed the authority of the state legislatures to make vaccine laws, okay, or not make them, right? What they've done is that what Virginia's done is they've handed over that power. They've given away that power to the CDC. 
and made the CDC a de facto lawmaking body for the state of Virginia. Now, we, you know, this, they are going to try to do this in every state so that basically there will be no more hearings on proposed vaccine additions laws that will require more vaccines. This is extremely dangerous. So I urge everyone to sign up for our free portal because it's a public service we provide. And, and, and we want you to be informed and be able, and we, t we give talking points that you can use, fact-based talking points you can use with your legislators. This issue is gonna become more and more important because of what the power grab has occurred in the last few months on this pandemic. Please be prepared. Please stand up for your right to make voluntary vaccine decisions. Yes, indeed. That's great recommendation. That portal is a gem. So I would strongly encourage people to do that. And hopefully we'll work together to get your vaccine army to actually engage in the uh, vitamin D oh. strategy that we hope to implement, because that's going to help everyone. So uh, the uh, other component is there's been this massive, not necessarily shutdown of, tra of air travel, but it almost a shutdown. Uh, and I, I Basically, my last flight was mid-March when I was coming back from Mexico for visiting a health hospital down there. And that was like, literally, that was the, the week that they started to shut things down. The next week was you really, it wasn't wise to travel. So and now I understand that you can travel, but you're going to be traveling with a mask on the entire time in the plane. And they are not serving you food or get this, even water. You're going to fly from Florida to Oregon, there is no way you're going to get a drop of water unless you brought it on the plane. So that makes travel a challenge to say. Yeah. I mean, that's a first world problem, but, but it's still, it's like you, our life has changed forever. But along those lines, we, I was excited because I, I, I was in the process of cutting down my travel anyway. But I mean, it's radically reduced. And I don't know that I'm going to fly anywhere this year. I'm supposed to go be in London in September, but I don't think that's mm -hmm. going to work out i'm probably i was going to go to your event and i believe it's october but uh that pretty much got rescheduled to virtual so um right we why don't you tell us a little bit about that because i was so excited the last one was many years ago it was eight nine years no it was over 10 years ago 2009 uh yeah. we did it in the pandemic year yeah. the okay. h1n1 pandemic year we had the the fourth international public conference of vaccination yeah. this year it will be we're holding it in october 16 through 18 the fifth international public conference on vaccination the theme is 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 uh protecting health and autonomy in the 21st century we are bringing together very high level speakers from around the world, from academia, from uh, act, the activists, the uh, bioethicists, the, I mean, from many different disciplines. Uh, we are, we're having a, a fantastic conference that will be online because we were not able to hold it at a hotel being so unsure of whether or not anyone could travel, whether there's gonna yeah. be a second wave of, of COVID-19 uh, and uh, people, you know, just couldn't get there. So we, well, it might, we be, might, be COVID, might be might be COVID-20 by then. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> but I'm so excited about it because I think uh, that it's if the timing is right. I think people want this information 
and we're going to put on one heck of a conference. It's going to be professionally produced, yeah. and um, we hope to have chat rooms. We hope to have uh, certainly formal presentations, but also some panel discussions. And I look forward to your being a speaker, Dr. Mercola. Yeah, I was look for, looking forward to go there in person because there is a great value to going to events, yeah, personally interacting with people. And it saddens me deeply to appreciate that has been drastically impacted, perhaps permanently, and that we may never able to have these events again, which isn't, I mean, we may never be able to fill sports stadiums again because of this fabricated pandemic. We've all become germaphobes. We've all been taught to become germaphobes, including our children. It's very traumatizing what has happened here. We're being taught to stay away from each other. We're being taught to view each other as, as basically infected and dangerous. We're, 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 we're limiting our social contact. We're social animals, humans. And you know when you see them lifting restrictions in different states and opening up the beaches and opening up these places, people throng out of their houses. They, they, they run out of their houses to try to have social interaction. Uh, it's the, the approach should have been much more balanced than it has been. And I'm not alone in saying that. There are many scientists and economists and public health uh, dissidents who are saying this was the wrong approach, this, lock, this immediate lockdown approach rather than a targeted promote, pr approach using traditional public health con uh, disease control measures. And those have been basically that you identify the sick and you quarantine the sick mm -hmm. until they're well, you do not quarantine everyone and shut down society. It's a tragedy what has happened. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you just don't quarantine everyone. You quarantine the sick. That's what quarantine is. Not for the entire public. It's just for those who are known to be sick. And that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. You know, you don't want to needlessly spread that and, and, and increase the contagious effect, but that doesn't mean everyone because then you, they're truly, we both believe in herd immunity. That is the way that immune, your natural immunity is acquired through con connection with others. And if you're healthy, which is the key, you're going to develop an immune response that is permanent, that will protect you for the rest of your life and without a vaccine or any side effects. So that's what, but you've, the key here is you have to be healthy and you can't get that immune reaction unless you're exposed to the infection and you're certainly not going to be exposed to the infection if you're kept indoors and your health is detracting because you're not getting sunshine. That's so true. And there's so many mistakes that were made. What, what about the empty warehouses? Why were the houses, the, the warehouses all empty of uh, gowns and masks and gloves? and uh, equipment that could have helped these healthcare workers right from the beginning. Many mistakes have been made, mixing the sick and the healthy in nursing homes, those crowded oh, nursing gosh. homes. There are some states that did divide them. They've done much better on mortality. States like New York that insisted that everybody be housed together and people discharged from hospitals that were still contagious, put back into the healthy population, into these nursing homes has been a disaster so many things could have been done differently. But what was the solution? Lock down everybody, shut down businesses, create an unbelievable unemployment problem in this country. It, it's, well, I, 
as I said, I'm doing a commentary on this, an overview on what's happened. And, Good. Uh, yeah, and I and I look forward to seeing the reaction to it. I I thought a lot about it. I haven't made a big public statement on this. This interview is certainly a beginning, but I, I have something to say in this commentary. Okay, we'll look forward to seeing that. Any other words of wisdom before we sign off? Oh, I just hope everybody takes a deep breath, goes outside in the sun and breathes in the air and, 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 and realizes that we'll, we will get through this, but I hope that it won't be the new normal. I hope people will start to rationally think and, and, and go back to the way we were before because that's, that's America, you know? All right. Well, great. Well, thanks for taking the time to share your words of wisdom with us and giving some practical components. And again, uh, one of the most important things you can do is sign up for that vaccine portal. It's free. There's not going to be emailing you needlessly. You only get information you need. Uh, and that's nbic.org and yeah. is the portal. nbic.org is our, web, our big website. And then nbicadvocacy.org is the portal where you okay. can sign up and you can... Uh, get those action alerts. Is there a link on your homepage? NBIC. There is. There no. is. So either way. It's actually, you don't have to type that second word. Just go to nbic.org and go <laughs> to the link. where's the link on the home, on that page? Um, it's in the top part of the page. It, okay. It says, state, it says portal, state portal. Uh, yes. I, I can't remember now right this second, but we'll make sure yeah. that it does. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Sounds great. All right. Well, thanks, Barb. Okay. Thank you.